Welcome back to Are You a Robot? Today we have Merve Hitchcock on for the second time. And we're speaking about the way that AI is being used to monitor employees, or as Merve put it, employee surveillance technology. This is something that after speaking with her deeply saddens me to see I am particularly outraged because I feel that we are going in the completely wrong direction with technology like this and AI applications like this. And what I see is that technology like this is being marketed and pushed onto people who do not realize the potential downfalls and pitfalls that AI has yet they are gladly grabbing this tech and adopting it and using it on others who may or may not know that they are being watched with AI models that are taking into account many different data points and then giving scores on them to their employers. Apart from that, these scores and all of this data is then being shared around or sold to third parties. And there is no accountability whatsoever when it comes to how this data is being shared. So let's talk with Merve today for the second time. If you do not remember, Merve spoke with us the first time about how AI is being used when it comes to the job hunt and the whole process of hiring. Now, once you've got that job, we are talking to Merve about how AI is being used to surveil or to make sure that you are doing the job that you should be doing and as you should be doing it. Let's get a quick intro from her. My name is Mary Hickok. For those who don't know me, I'm the founder of AIethicist.org, interested in AI, AI ethics, uh, as it relates to social justice and public benefit. If it is your first time listening to us, welcome. This is Are You a Robot? And it is a series where we aim to answer or at least talk about some of the greatest challenges and questions that stem from AI and related technologies. The way that we do that is by gathering the best and the brightest in their respective fields to come on here and talk to us about what it is exactly they feel is important in this moment in time, if there are any best practices that we should take away from what they know. They have the insider insight and these advantages of knowing much more than the average Joe about the specific fields. So they come on here, they share their lessons and their wisdom with us. If you would like to continue any of these conversations, I really encourage you to jump into our Slack workspace that we have. We are building a community around AI ethics. So last thing I wanna to touch on is that we have an incredible sponsor, Ethics Grade is doing some astounding stuff when it comes to ESG ratings. For those of you who do not know what ESG ratings are, that is where a company will analyze and rate other companies on their non-financial impact to the world. So Ethics Grade has rated many companies and you can see all of the different companies that they've rated by going to their website and downloading scorecards. And what I love about these scorecards is you can find out 
what exactly is really going on when it comes to the data policies or the data governance that companies have or the AI ethics that companies actually have as opposed to what they market to the rest of us. So go to ethicsgrade.io and check that out or just click the link in the description below. And now let's talk with Merve. Are you a robot? Merve, it is a pleasure to have you back on here. I think you are the first guest that we have had on for a second time, uh, aside from Charles, who seems I can't get away from him. <laughs> and, and I really am excited because as I was mentioning before we hit record, there are so many pieces of our first conversation that have just lingered in my head. And so many things that you said that were very, very spot on when it comes to the way that we've been handling COVID and the data that we've been giving out for COVID. And every time I see things like, uh, actually right now I'm traveling and I had to fill out a pretty extensive card to come into Greece where I am right now. And I remembered you because it was like, all this information that I'm giving out right now, they would never have the ability for me or to get this information from me if it weren't for all of these COVID measures. So the idea that you put forth, I don't know how many months ago it was when we talked about how we're taking these liberties or we're gathering all this information and this information is power, this data is so much power, has stuck in my head. But Maybe you can tell us, aside from your background, which has changed, what else have you been up to and what has changed since we last spoke? Uh, absolutely. The, the paper that we were talking, discussing about COVID, COVID contact tracing apps, uh, I had written that in April 2020, so first months of COVID, and as these uh, app, apps were coming up, and since then, it's peaked and died and coming back again in, in different uh, formats. But uh, one of the things that we've seen since our conversation was a number of countries who had put in this like safeguards or, prom or promises that this data was not going to be shared. Um, it was only for public health purposes and contact tracing purposes. We see them starting to share that with law enforcement. Uh, and other private parties. We see that in, in like Singapore and, and UK, the NHS and you know data uh, sharing uh, right now is, is a big uh, issue still un unresolved. Uh, and we see this data being um, uh, hack hacked as well. So what, uh, you know, I really keep going back to the first question, though, you know, that data is power, data is political, uh, and uh, we need to be really careful about uh, the purpose that we're using. And I still haven't seen uh, any validity and accuracy around this contact tracing apps, although they're still being pushed in different formats. So even yesterday, I've seen a... a privacy principles on contact tracing apps paper coming out, which looked like it had so many different, you know, uh, multi-stakeholders, et cetera. But where it started was, how do we secure the data uh, that, that, that is co collected with this? How do we get uh, stakeholders 
consent and get people's trust, not asking the fundamental question of who does apps actually work? You know, is it accurate? Is it valid? You know, like without answering those, we keep jumping to this data, massive data collection, uh, and then dealing with the unintended consequences of that. Yeah. To your second question, though, what happened since we talked? Uh, what additional hats I started wearing? I started teaching at University of Michigan uh, as a data science ethics lecturer. Uh, I also am now senior research director at Center for AI and Digital Policy, which is a think tank based in DC. Um, so we're focused on the policy side, regulation and policy side of uh, uh, AI and, and digital practices. So we provide consultation and, and feedback to governments as well as um, non, you know, international organizations. You mentioned something really interesting the last time we spoke, and that is how when we gather this data for things like COVID and the contact track tracing apps and the different data that we shouldn't necessarily be handing over so freely, but because it is a pandemic and it's like a, a world crisis, we are now okay, or the different governments or organizations are okay with asking us for this kind of stuff. And I remember I made the case to you that, well, let's look at some of these countries that have been doing it uh, more in an authoritarian way, right? Where they just take it and they don't ask you and they get all of the information possible and then they're able to use that. And you just talked about something that is so important and that is, are we sure that these contact tracing apps work? Like that is the fundamental question. And it is not so clear in your eyes that they do work. Is that something that, it, like, why do you think that? Uh, the, the first questions we always ask Metrios is, you know, you might have heard of this before, just because we can, should we, right? Just because we can uh, bring these apps up and do massive data collection and uh, correlate, you know, do network analysis, et cetera, should we? Is, are we bringing a technical solution to a problem where this app, this, this contact tracing apps are not the solution because they're not accurate in the first place. Uh, you and I might be sitting in different floors of a building, never cross paths, uh, but because vertically we're in the, uh, you know, in, in, in proximity, you might seen as having contacted. This then might cause you to be in current quarantined uh, and not go to work. Uh, or me, for that matter, and uh, my work might be my only uh, income to to keep me and my family going. Uh, right now, you know, we we have a lot of uh, publicity around or news coming up around this false positives as well, uh, where it is actually impacting people's lives, and you're just making a decision with an app that is not accurate. You haven't considered accuracy and validity of it but you're impacting people's lives, let alone all the other um, data and privacy and all the other ethic, ethical um, implications of, of, of this data collection. So there's something that another guest on the show said a few weeks back to me, and that was because we aren't doing it 
basically because we haven't gone all in like other countries have, such as I have some friends in South Korea right now, and we know that China has also been very heavily doing it. Uh, and what my what this person on the show said is that because we haven't gone all in on this kind of collection and contact tracing, we're essentially getting the worst of both worlds because we're sharing the data, but we're not getting the supposed benefits of them. Exactly, exactly. If we knew that this actually worked and we have scientific proof of, of it works, it, it contributes towards public health, public benefit, uh, and putting the safeguards around that, I'm all, I'm all in. Uh, to your point, we're getting the worst, and it's a power relationship as well, right? So the this con the countries, big organizations, uh, or even some platforms are are pushing this, are mandating this uh, in certain instances uh, without you having a say in in this thing. I mean, we're we're kind of normalizing that power imbalance, uh, and we see it in not only COVID but in in different ways as well, where either a government or an employer, whatever it is, are um, pushing these apps, pushing these practices, different different practices, uh, just because they can. And you don't you don't get a say in, in, in this. That is a great segue into employers and how things are looking right now when it comes to AI and getting a job. And you wrote two, a two-part blog post on, did, let me see, let me get the name right. Is it, why was your job application rejected? Um, or did, sorry, how AI stopped you getting, from getting that job? You know, I got mm -hmm. these, I got these titles way off. Um, sorry. So let me, let me try that again. <laughs> so that is a great segue into your two-part blog post, which was titled, Why Was Your Job Application Rejected? And I think that we could probably talk about that a little bit and how AI right now, it, and of course, what, what you feel you didn't say in that first podcast that we had, how AI is being used and misused when it comes to getting jobs. Yeah, so in in that first episode, the first time we talked around, we talked about recruitment tools and biases embedded in this in some of these tools. Again, some have issues with bias, with uh, you know, and some are outright uh, unscientific uh, methods like uh, facial analysis, uh, sentiment analysis, etc. So we had talked about those stuff. Uh, but tying back to what we mentioned uh, about COVID and you know its impact, uh, there is also that part that you're impacted. Uh, the AI comes into into the picture as as you're an employee, right? So last time around we talked about the recruitment piece. You're a job candidate. All the things that could go wrong. Uh, all the things that um, as an employer, as a vendor, as a candidate, we should be aware of and improve, et cetera, question. But there's also another piece that is an employee-employer relationship, and we see a lot of that in the employee uh, surveillance, employee monitoring systems right now, uh, which 
especially expanded since the beginning of COVID and its uh, work from home remote working arrangements. And I really would like to like touch touch upon that. You know, I'm a HR professional by by trade, certified HR professional who has in time moved to AI and AI ethics world. Uh, but that piece of how we impact em employees, because every one of us are trying to have a job, get a job, improve in our careers. So this impacts pretty much every one of us. And uh, there will come a point in future where we are locking people from opportunities permanently and, and, and normalizing some of these practices. Okay, so it's probably good to start from the beginning for those who are unaware of how employee surveillance is working and what is going on right now. Absolutely. So, um, with especially with COVID, the home like work home life became more integrated and blurred, blurred the lines uh, of what is private, what is work. And a lot of the companies adopted, and this was not, this was a practice obviously that had started long ago, but uh, we've seen a, a serious rise in, in the practice throughout COVID where companies start adopting surveillance tools to monitor their employees' productivity, or their personality, how risky they are, etc. The way it works is it might come in, in different ways, right? So you might have surveillance at work, at workplace, with the IoTs, the data that you collect through, you know, uh, with sensors or IoT devices, cameras, biometric recognition systems, variables, uh, your geofencing activities, where you, you know, uh, limit the the geographic area where employees can be. Uh, you might have it, you might have surveillance online. So any data or behavior signals that you're gathering when your employees are using company-owned devices, uh, you can track the data itself as well as the behavioral signals. And you might also have surveillance offline through you know, variable devices, profiling, um, uh, you know, it's like looking at how much time people are spending on certain activities on the device, on certain websites, etc. Um, sorry, with, with the variable devices. So this, the employee might not be engaging in something during work hours, but you're getting information from other sources that uh, that employee has. Um, has provided data or is creating data. Um, and we see employers moving more and more to gather more data, uh, more monitoring on, on what their employees are doing and trying to create inferences or predictions about these. So I guess the first question there is, does an employer have a right? It's, is it okay for them to be doing that? Should it be some kind of opt-in system? Should it just not be allowed at all? How do you view this? So in in US at least, if you're using a company-owned device, so if you're using your company's laptop or phone that they provided you, you don't have any expectation to um, privacy. 
So the, the company can collect all the information, track all the information, have access to, to your calls, text messages, emails, et cetera, whatever it is. Uh, however, especially with COVID, we're spending time around the clock on weekends, after work hours, et cetera, on these devices by default, because uh, you're not really like switching because I'm going to switch from this laptop to another. I'm going to carry two phones uh, uh, you know, to do my business calls versus my personal calls and text messages, et cetera. It doesn't work that way in, in reality. However, there is no line right now where that work stops and personal life begins and with these devices. So de facto, your employer has access to anything and everything 24-7 on what you do on these devices. Um, and you see some of the sales pitches coming into you know, em employers when this company is this employee monitoring companies come and do their pitches. Uh, you see things like increase your productivity and performance, sales prevention, insider threat, uh, threat uh, prevention, or you know, get user behavior analytics and sentiment analysis. You know, identify your high risk profiles, identify your best uh, workers, etc. Uh, I don't think it's. I think it's beyond consent. It's beyond um, the implications are beyond consent or um, just the employee having control over it. Like, why are we doing this? Again, just because we can, should we? What, what, what is the behavior that we're trying to, or outcome that we're trying to get out of this? So basically it's taken for granted that if you're using your company's device, nothing on there is private. And Correct. that, has not been disputed at all, which for me feels a little bit like it should have been, but I guess these are the things that we sign up for the job. We, it's, it, to me, it feels like the company owns you in a way. And I can see how this will have negative repercussions when it comes to mental health of employees, because they feel like they don't even know how they're being scored. And I wonder, maybe you can start with the simple question is, do the employees even know that they're being monitored like that? And then the next thing is some of the stuff that you're talking about, and you mentioned it briefly in passing, is that they claim, they, have, they make bold claims, these different employee monitoring solutions. But we both know, like, I, I'm sure that you've seen a sentiment analysis um, machine learning model before, and it's not like it's perfect every time. And so that is a whole nother problem that you're adding on to it, that these predictions that they're making are probably very flawed. And I would be very, very surprised if it was really good predictions that are coming out of this kind of stuff. But I'd love to hear from you. Like, do most employees know that they're being monitored? Do they just guess? Do they have some kind of notion that, yeah, maybe my company's watching me? Uh, it might be in the you know your your privacy policy or your employee handbook or in the in the policies of your um, of your company. Not to the extent though. I mean, right now, if if I'm an employer, uh, I can collect data, content data like email, text, phone, calendar, browsing history, social media posts, etc. 
I can collect movement and location data. I can collect usage data, like um, how you're using your computer, what application sites or how long idle or active times, etc. So I don't think the employees have a full sense, even if there was, a, you know, a, a policy that say don't have any expectation of privacy. I don't think they understand the whole, uh, you know, the whole extent of data collection and what data can be collected. And it's also, um, oh, you know, going back to a panopticon uh, analogy, right? Them, if you know, <laughs> them, if you don't know, uh, you're going to be self, um, you know, changing your, either the company can manipulate you, change your behavior, uh, make correct or incorrect inferences about your behavior. Uh, but it also means that you're going to be self-correcting, um, self-changing your own behavior because you know that you're constantly being watched. Uh, so what does that do to um, your mental health, as you mentioned? But there's a whole host of ethical implications that go beyond privacy, that go beyond consent when we talk about this. Um, um, monitoring okay. systems. So, for example, um, you know, what can go wrong when we reduce and simplify an employee's behavior to only data points, right? Um, past privacy, past uh, the whole uh, self-management and health uh, issues. First and foremost, as you're building these models or as you're using, implementing these models or software, you're making a decision about what productive or desired behavior or what good looks like, you know, that you should spend this much time on Outlook, you should interact this much with your teammates, you should spend this much on this software, and because this is relevant, you know, you're making decisions about how work should get done, um, you know, and anyone who doesn't meet those criteria of, if I go out to a website that was deemed irrelevant by whoever, Bill was building the model or the criteria. Anything that falls outside of that, etc. cetera. Uh, so again, you're making a decision about what your, um, what good looks like, what successful looks like, what, what is worthy, what is standard, etc. Then you reduce the workers and their performance, their bodies to lines of code and flows of data to, that you can scrutinize and, and manipulate. You know, you're reducing that complexity of human behavior, of life, of interactions to scores. Um, you know, it doesn't take into account that like, it was Dimitrius sick that day, was he dependent on someone else to finish part of this work so he could actually start working harder on something. Was he ex experiencing technical issues that was impacting his productivity? Uh, was he given a, um, a task that required him to do a lot of research before outside, before he could come to his laptop and you know start doing something else? It doesn't take into account any of those, um, you know, dehumanizes the human the worker takes the dignity that you associate with your work uh, your product and you're just down to a risk score you're down to a number 
Uh, and it, really, that identification uh, turns eventually will turn further cooperation and bias. You talked about uh, mental health, etc. So there's a part of me that wonders about how someone that is implementing this type of software into their company could feel that this is a good idea. Because I am sure that we all know sometimes the best ideas, the best work comes from after you've sat around and done nothing for an hour or two, and then boom, you have those shower moments, right? I think they're even called like a shower idea or something like that. And so what you're talking about and, and vigilantly monitoring someone to make sure that they're just producing, 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 it feels to me like it's very short-sighted. And you talked about how these different employee monitoring software companies, they market themselves by saying increase in productivity, knowing who's a threat. For me, I look at that and if I had my own company, I would think that is absolutely outrageous to actually believe that by monitoring someone and knowing if they're working the full eight hours, like it's, it's basically putting a, a really tight collar around their neck. And that is a great way to get employees to leave your company. And, but maybe that's just my viewpoint and I'm a little bit naive or jaded, or I am uh, not someone that is going to be marketed to by these different companies. Or you care more about the humanity and dignity and the interactions, human interactions. Uh, you would be surprised. I was asked this question about how these systems expanded throughout COVID by someone. And um, there's a survey that was done in April to, of this year, 2021. And it found that 78% of employers we're using monitoring tools to track employee performance or their online activity. And 51% of those started using the surveillance software in the past six months, so throughout COVID. So you might implement this uh, because you don't know what the implications are, etc. You think that more data that you have about employees and like this, this technology is objective data, it's, it's ground truth, it calculates. Uh, you know, these interactions and whatever score you get out of it is, is objective, right? So you might believe in, in, in data and not question or not understand and implement that because you want to do something about this whole remote working arrangement uh, or, you know, boost your productivity, as they say. Or you might actually uh, use this because you can, you know exactly what you're getting out of it and what it's a power relationship. Uh, you can do this, you can uh, monitor activities. Uh, you can use this to, for example, limit collective action or union activity uh, that asks for better conditions. You're like a divide and conquer method uh, or you don't have any accountability. There is no regulation that, you know, um, says you can't do otherwise. So you're just like filling in that gap. 
hand saying, hey, I, I, I can do this. And there isn't any accountability around what happens if you know, wrong decisions are made or if the data is breached or you know, some other company, a third party makes a decision about the data that you collected and shared. There is no accountability in the whole cycle, life cycle of this data. So you might know it and intentionally do it. So I think this is very contextual and depending on the employer and the mot motivations and motives of the employer. Well, for me, it, it seems outrageous because of just the way that I noticed myself working over the span of the last year and a half and how I get work done in all moments of the day. And it's not like, as you mentioned, there is no more nine to five. And I've really had to learn to plan, okay, I'm going to start working at this hour and I take breaks and I do this and I try and keep a schedule, but I'm not naturally, I'm not a person. This may come to as a surprise to some people, but I'm not good at keeping like rigorous or uh, routines. I like spontaneity in life. And what I'm getting at, I guess, is that I will work some days incredibly long hours and then other days less. And luckily, I do not have an employer who is watching me because I think I would have been fired long ago if I had someone that was looking at what I was doing. And, but I noticed in myself that for me, that's just the way that I love to work. I love to work in in these spurts when I feel inspired or when I feel like I am more productive, I will be doing more things. And, and then in other moments, it is more productive for me to go out for a walk. And so that I come back recharged and rejuvenated. And so again, it comes back to this, like, I just absolutely think that this idea is crazy. And this whole way of thinking about your employees is so foreign to me. And it reminds me of a lot of different companies that I, I've heard of one company that wanted to do go back into the office now that things are a little bit better. Uh, and so they decided to do the hybrid model of coming to the office a few days a week and then working from anywhere or working from home really a few days a week. And one of the executives said, but the days that we come to the office, it has to be like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And one of the other executives said, Friday, I don't know, that's not the best idea because, you know, it's Friday, whatever. And the executive who proposed Friday said, it has to be Friday because otherwise nobody will work. And I think of that and I look at that and I say, yeah, but if they don't work hard on Friday, hopefully they're coming back to work on Monday fully recharged and they're going to do double what they would have done by just pretending to work on a Friday. And so it, it all comes back to this, these ideas and the fundamentals of how you look at the workers, right? How are you trying to squeeze all of the juice out of them? squeeze everything you can out of them before they get burnt out and they eventually just crash? Or is it like I'm trying to 
view them as another human being and view that they have needs and wants and they also have ways of working that may or may not be different to mine. And it feels like these employee monitoring softwares really do not take any of that into account. Absolutely. I mean, you're uh, spot on. You're treating, you're not trusting your em employees. Uh, you're just treating them, like reducing them to a, a, something that you can manipulate, exploit, uh, and, you know, get the more benefit out of. And you're not asking them why they're working long hours or like had an idea that come to their minds at, late at night or weekend and they're on their computers uh, working. You're asking them, why they're not working during the work hours uh you know it's like it's that trust relationship that and and human interaction it comes back to that uh and what you're trying to get out of this to your point i had my some of my best ideas my like intellectual sparks where i would just step away from the desk go out to a park take my team members we'll just like we'll have a walk and as we were discussing things, something would just come up and that will be like a breakthrough in our in our projects. How do you uh, turn that into data? How do you turn that into a score? Um, outside of the geofencing, I'm away from my laptop. I'm not on my you know phone. You don't see me interacting with uh, with the team members. Like what kind of a decision can you uh, can you make out of that? Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure there's going to be a company that comes out and says, no, we're giving higher scores for people who are exercising or they're taking walks and taking breaks once an hour because that is actually a sign of a very productive and healthy worker or something like that. But at the end of the day, the seed is there. And it's for me, it is, it's outrageous to think about how these things are being implied and just and put into practice uh, just Demetrius can I just mention you know touch on that piece on wellness piece because that is also a huge thing that um, some of these data collection practices started with uh, variables and the employee wellness programs and collection of that data uh, you know a few companies were uh, giving out Fitbits or similar things, or like that counts your, you know, your steps, what calories that you take, they, like your sleep patterns, did you get your sleep, did you get your calorie intake? Again, that's making a decision of what you should do, what, uh, you know, what, what, is, what is a good practice, what an employee should do to be most productive for the, you know, not for his or her health, uh, or, you know, for in the context of that employee's life, lifestyle, uh, beliefs, uh, et cetera, how, what, or culture, what they eat, whatever. It's really about what the employer or the app designers think is the perfect uh, number of calories, perfect number of steps. Mm. So you, you collect that. That's one thing. Again, you're making judgments, normative judgments. But then we see these companies sharing that wellness data with insurance companies. Again, no liability, who owns that data? Uh, and what happens if the insurance company says, hey, you're not uh, you know, taking care of your sleep or your calorie intake or whatever, your fitness. So I'm gonna up your health policy cost. 
Wow. Who, who gets, uh, you know, the, the short end of the stick uh, at that point? Wow. Yeah. And so I guess that goes along the lines of what I was going to ask. And I wonder if there are opt-in options of doing this to where we are deciding whether or not we want to take part in this. And then I guess the, the other way that would be a bit scary on how this could be incentivized is that, yeah, if you're, if you're taking part in these wearable programs, if you're letting us monitor you, then it's like you're carving out a pathway and you're going to see that you will rise to the top much quicker than someone who is not accepting this. And have you seen that happening or is that something that might happen in the future? It might happen in the future because like I said, there is no liability or accountability of how this data is used. Um, to, to your point, you know, that might be unintentionally used to make biased decisions of, okay, this is what an employee who looks after themselves looks like, and these don't, and you don't understand the, the biased and discriminatory nature of that uh, line of logic. Or you might actually use that if you were malicious, if, um, you can intentionally use this data and this software to cover your discriminatory behavior. And you're hiding behind the opaqueness of the system, of the technology, saying, okay, this data is objective, this person is not taking care of themselves, or they're not collaborating with the rest of the team, they're not spending enough time mm -hmm. on, on their laptops, etc. So I'll, you know, the computer said that the app said this person has a high risk score, so I'm gonna fire them. Or they have a high uh, productivity scores. So I'm gonna promote them. So I can totally see um, intentionally some employers intentionally hiding behind these apps or software or risk uh, yeah. scores to make those decisions. Yeah, and, and also in this situation that I just proposed, if a company went out and was very transparent with their employees and said, hey, look, if you sign up for our Fitbit program and you share your data with us and you, you get this monitoring software, it, nobody has to get it. But if you do, then we're going to better collect all of this data and it's going to be more uh, beneficial to you and your career path. Then even if I don't want to, I'm still going to have to because I, if I want to rise in the ranks and I would like to get a promotion, then I have to be part of this program, right? I don't have a choice. Even if it, I think it's absurd and I think it's outrageous, I'm still going to take part in the program because of those other factors. Absolutely. Then it's not a choice, right? It's not about consent. It's not about opting out, opt out. It's not that a choice, it's uh, the employer making a decision using its power to make a decision that this is going to be a relevant data point uh, and you don't get a say in that. So I think we've talked enough about this 
outrageous and really ridiculous way of monitoring employees and what is happening with that. How can employees gain their rights and powers back if they are in a situation where they're being surveilled? Is it just you have to change companies or can they speak out against it? What is there that they can do? Um, when we're talking about the implications of AI or big data, I always say individual action or individual reaction is not enough because you're it's a huge power imbalance. Whatever you do as an individual, whether it's changing your settings, whether you're refusing to, um, you know, be subject to the stuff, wearing a Fitbit or changing employers, it's all individual. It doesn't make a dent in the actual system in how pervasive and ubiquitous the systems are. So you need uh, one, you need regulations around this who are going to, call, you know, uh, protect the employee's rights and where that line is between what the employer can do and where what the what they can't do, you know, how proportional that data collection should be versus the intent or the purpose of the system, etc. Uh, but also on top of the regulations, we also need collective action. You know, this is not an employee, single employee decision. Uh, it needs to be a collective of whether it's unions, whether it's community, whether it's society saying, we are not okay with this. Uh, we cannot have, you know, corporations or employers having this this much of uh, data collection and, and and manipulation. We don't want it in our at work. We don't want it out in the streets. We don't want it in the schools. Um, you know, when you look at surveillance in general, it's so pervasive in every aspect of your life. You're being surveilled while driving your car inside your car now. Uh, your data is being collected while you're sleeping. It's so pervasive uh, that we need more collective action and protection around this. So I guess the first step also would be to find out if you are being surveilled. If your company is one of these companies out of the 75%, I think you said, of co all companies surveyed, they were using this. So how can we find out if our company is one of these? Well, you can have the companies disclose in detail what they're using and what they're collecting. Uh, you know, you can mandate that disclosure. However, that doesn't change. It's a bit like uh, everyone says, we need transparency uh, of, in terms of AI systems. Transparency in itself is not enough. Uh, you know, I might make all kinds of discriminatory or biased decisions and be really transparent about it uh, and not change my behavior, right? So we need transparency that is going to lead to uh, liability and accountability as well and, and, and a due, due, due process. Yeah, and as you also mentioned, the ways that you go about doing this, if, or if you do go about doing this, you're probably not going to be looked at in a very nice light by these different employers. And who knows, maybe the app that they're using is even going to flag you as being a threat. Uh, they might. And, you know, you might say something on social media or, you know, employers 
uh, review sites. So other employers might see what you, what you mentioned. Uh, we're also seeing some like employment rec record aggregators. So there's also software out there who would you know, aggregate all your employment records across different employers, your, your work activities, your reputation, your compensation, etc. So they're aggregating all this data and whatever your previous employer said about you or says about you can be shared with future employers. And you might or might not get a control of how that uh, information is shared. It might be aggregated without your consent, uh, or it might be aggregated with your consent, but without you understanding the overall implications of how that might be used. And is there any way for me to see what my past employers are saying about me? Depends on what your, uh, not that I know of, unless you are in one of those aggregator data sets and you, you can go back and, you know, uh, see if they made any comments. Uh, but I think it's also what your future employers are going to uh, be interested in, what kind yeah. of sources that they're looking at. Uh, and that's where it comes in with social media, where they're aggregating everything about me. They're aggregating my social media, they're aggregating what I said on Reddit or what I said on employee sites or job postings or whatever, or Glassdoor. And all of that is becoming available in one, one area. And so a potential employer or a recruiter can see that about me and they can make decisions based on that. Correct. It's two separate practices towards similar ends. So social media um, screening, if, if you're a, a candidate for a job or if you're an employee, the employer could go and screen your social media, what you posted, and make inferences about whether you're a good fit, the content of, you know, and they might use like third-party apps or software, again, to get a risk score that looks at your social media posts and whatever online behavior that you have. And they provide that data and risk score to the employer. Uh, again, no, with no scientific validity, and there's so many biased issues within that. Uh, the employment record aggregators are actually aggregating, okay, Demetrius worked, previously worked in this four different companies. This is what his compensation looked like. This is, these were the jobs that he was in. During a day, this was his job split. So instead of asking Demetrius, okay, what was your, what was your job look like? What have you done? It is just kind of collecting the bits of information that they deem relevant uh, and then using that, providing that to sell to recruiters, to lenders, to insurers. It's not even like recruiters only. Your, your data might be shared with other uh, companies as well. Oh, wow. oh, so for example, if I, if I knew... <laughs> if oh, I wow. knew what your compensation was in previous jobs, I can make an offer to you of what I think you're going to accept versus what I think is an actual like fair compensation for the job I'm hiring you into. Well, let's go back to that piece where you said it's not only for work. Now, just about anyone could get hold of that data. 
And so yes. for lenders or if I'm, yeah. So if I'm going for a loan and then they, people can see my whole work history of all of my salary, they can make a better informed decision or plug that data into their machine learning model. Correct. And that former comp compensation data might be uh, problematic because you worked in, in employers where there was a huge, say, gender gap, gender pay gap. Your employee was, employer was uh, biased against female workers, for example, and you constantly were paid less. And then the lender gets that data and says, like, okay, this is what this person uh, throughout their professional employment history average what they got this is what they're worth i'm gonna get uh, uh this kind of like the jobs that say you you're working on gig economy the whole time like, okay there's this person is not going to go into for example corporate environment they make a, a decision that one is better than the other and look at your income levels and it's like okay this is what i should charge the person in terms of their interest rates or the credit line wow that is incredible to know. And also, again, I think a huge piece of what you just said is really starting to click in my mind right now. And that is that there's no accountability on this. So that whether or not it's the apps, these or these employee monitoring software apps, or it's the actual employers sharing their data, sharing all of this data, no one is saying anything and there's no regulation and there's no rules on how that data can be shared. Is that what you're saying? It is what I'm saying. At the end of the day, the technology AI is an artifact of it's, it's created by humans. We need to look at the, the humans and motivations of the humans or companies behind it. And you know why they're developing it, why they're implementing it, and who's benefiting from this. Because at the end of the day, one side is benefiting and one side is harmed and marginalized uh, with a lot of these applications. But AI doesn't make that decision. It's just an artifact. It's us as humans and uh, employers or whatever that are making like behind those decisions, and we need to question that and keep them accountable. Yeah. That's such a great point. We're codifying all of our biases, everything about our humanness into the AI, and then we're able to just put it at scale and we really get to see those flaws and how they work. And so, okay, I've got another question for you that's kind of changing gears and it is around the surveillance and how you talked about before. Surveillance is so prevalent and it's so pervasive right now in our lives. If you are in the UK, you are very, very familiar with all of the, what they call the CCTV, right? Everywhere that you go, you're being watched and it's accepted. And mm -hmm. it's a known fact that there's cameras everywhere. And my question for you is around my friend, who lives in South Korea, as I mentioned before, and she has two children who are ages 13 and 14. And she loves the fact that there is so, well, she loves the fact that it is so safe where she lives. It's a big city and it is very safe and she can sleep 
easy at night, knowing that her kids are out having fun with their friends until 11 or 12 at night, and they come home by themselves in, in a taxi on their own, no problem, because South Korea is so safe. And one of the reasons that she says it is so safe is because of all of the surveillance. What are your opinions on that? I think I would question the, the causal line between surveillance and crime rates. Uh, is that the only reason that there, there isn't much crime or you know severe crime, violent crime in, in where she lives? Or is it a function of the society and societal relationships? Or is it that you no, know, there are other factors like income or you know educational levels, etc., or you know integrated communities or neighborhoods, kind of uh, looking after each other, or the, the the whole societal relationships that is causing that crime rate uh, to to be low or lower. Uh, I think putting that direct line between surveillance causes crime rates to go down is a very dangerous route because we don't have evidence of that you know you need to make that statement you need to have all the other variables stable fixed and surveillance the level of surveillance is the only you know uh the, the changing one and then you can make a direct causal uh statement i i'm in michigan detroit is heavily surveilled that it's one of the most surveilled uh cities in in U united states um, there's a huge thing uh, fight going on between the, the police, city council, and the residents. Uh, one side making that direct uh, relationship again, and the other side is saying, uh, "No, you're using this to, you know, surveil and marginalize and oppress the communities. Uh, you're, you're just using this as as a way to get your way." I would question that that relationship uh, and what is the actual uh, factor that uh, that causes that crime rate to be low. Brilliant answer. I, I love the way that you look at this and I love speaking to you about these things because you have taught me so much just in this brief hour that we've spoke. So I have the last question for you i imagine you know what's coming merve are you still not a robot i'm still not a robot i'm still trying to hold on to my humanity <laughs> excellent well i appreciate you coming on here and teaching me about surveillance employee surveillance technology i encourage everyone out there to figure out if your employee is or if your employer is surveilling you, or if you're in one of those positions where you get to be making the decision, please do not. Please do not contract these. And for all of the benefits that the companies tout, I do not think it is going to be worth it for you to contract one of these employee surveillance applications or software. That's all we've got for today. Merve, thanks again. Thank you for having me back, Demetrius. It was a great conversation once again. Thank you.